Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, and welcome everybody to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, Shwini Poon. This is episode 241. I cannot believe that's 241. It feels like just yesterday was episode one. Uh, but I am joined, as always, by my co-host, the very cozy, the very comfortable Stacy Pan. That is at Stacy Pan 89 on Twitter. Stacy, how are you doing? How is your bed? How are you feeling? Cozy and comfortable. It's good to hear. I always want my co-host to be cozy and comfortable. We are also joined by, uh, I guess at this point, can we just say a long-time guest of the pod? I think we can say long-time guest of the pod. His name is Jordan Cohen. That is at sports underscore by underscore stats on Twitter. Jordan, how are you doing? I am doing really well. I'm just paying attention to Kyrie saying some really racist shit. So. So was, and, and sucking on national TV. He was all. I think he got his first points in the fourth quarter, and like that tonight, it was terrible. It was so. It was one of those games um, where I, to be honest, I tweeted about this. I said it was great to watch Kyrie Irving suck ass on national TV. The fun fact: I did not watch a second of it. I was playing a soccer match because I'm a dynamic athlete, and I had to. I had to, you know, perform for my team. So I played. I came back. I saw. The score when I checked, it was it was the Nets were up 76, 67 in the third quarter. The next time I checked it, they were down 101-92 in the fourth quarter with like four minutes left. They blew it. I looked at the box score further. Kyrie Irving apparently did absolutely nothing in this game. Uh, very satisfying. He totally deserves it. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Kyrie Irving. We're going to talk about a lot of things. But before we get started, I do have to announce that Strickland has a Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There are a number of tiers. There is a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland this pod that I do every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops at all. We even argue about, is Quentin Grimes' injury real or not? You also get access to the mailbag that is hosted by Drew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, every other week. There are further tiers. There's an under here that gets you access to Strick and Roll, my solo pod where I rant and rave about the Knicks even more. You also get access to wonderful weekly articles by Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, a $30 tier, a $50 tier, and a $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits like listening in on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day, whether you choose to subscribe or not. None of this would be possible without you. So without further ado, let's get started. Um, I want to talk. We, we look. We have to talk about the Kyrie Irving thing. We have to. I, I don't think it can be avoided. Um, I've like. I don't know. I, I, I'm like really struggling with this because I'll be, look. I love the NBA. It is my favorite sport. Um, it, it is not the sport that my favorite team has the best chance to win something in, but it is my favorite sport. Uh, 
it's been a good I'm year. A, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been a good year with with the NFL. But like, I really struggle with this because look, Kyrie is a fucking asshole. All right, anybody that denies that or wants to defend him, I want you to know this: you can go fuck yourself, and you can unsubscribe from this pod. You can fucking unfollow me on Twitter. But mostly, I just want you to know that you should and you can go fuck yourself. Um, but, like, the thing that has really been a struggle for me is just the lack of response and, and any type of, like, proactive approach from the NBPA, the NBA itself. Uh, like, I, I think it was really telling to me today. Look, I, again, I didn't watch it. I just saw the quotes and, and the video and stuff afterwards. Uh, on Twitter, but like, I feel like Barkley and and these TNT guys are the first guys that like came out there and were just like, no, this is wrong. Like, this is like really bad, and and he's an asshole, and he should that this should have been handled in a very different way, and he should have been suspended, and the league fucked this up. Um, so and so I think it's a, just to, uh, I think it's yeah. worth acknowledging. Sorry, the NBPA did release a statement. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that. Um, I, I saw it. A very milkato statement that they took two days to fucking drop. Like, I'm sorry. He is your. He is a VP. He is one of your executive members. He is a representative of the entire players, like he, of the entire player body. That is unacceptable. I'm sorry. That's dog shit. That is so fucking bad. Um, anybody that's like trying to 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 diminish this, the worst are the people. Oh, why aren't we talking about Amazon? They're, they're the ones that are okay. We can. You want like you're right. Let's. Let's shit on Bezos. I'm happy to shit on Bezos. Let's do that. We can do that too. But we're not talking about Jeff Bezos right now because we're talking about Kyrie Irving. And in the conversation about Kyrie Irving, this guy has done this. He has done bullshit for years. He has done bullshit for years. And every time he's done it, oh, Kyrie, he's just kooky. Oh, Kyrie, he's he's on his own planet. No, this is bullshit. What he's doing right now is he is he is putting out anti-Semitic content to his thousands, maybe millions of followers, probably. Then when questioned about it, simultaneously says he's proud to have this voice that he has, but then also says he's not in control of, like, dispensing any message. He is a, he is one of the most unreliable narrators possible. He is, as far as I'm concerned, a piece of shit for how he's handled this and for the fact that he showed no contrition. He's not apologized. He has not he has not done anything to show that he acknowledges that, oh, you're right. This thing that I put out was probably a bad thing and for that I apologize. He is never able to take responsibility for his actions. He tries to put it on the media, he tries to put it on the fans, he tries to put it on anybody else. He will never take ownership of it. I'm sick of him I am sick of people that apologize for him. And as far as I'm concerned, the the NBA and the Nets have completely bungled this thing. And on top of this, we haven't even talked about this. This is the funniest thing. Guess what else happened today? The Nets fired Steve Nash and hired, apparently they're going to hire Emei Udoka as our head coach, which, <laughs> I mean, I mean, come on. Let's just, uh, the, the, the jokes right themselves. It, it's not a joke, though. It's not a joke. It, it's a terrible reflection on the league it's a terrible reflection on this organization which by the way let's point this out and this needs to be said especially on the next spot 
uh, a Knicks podcast. When Sean Marks was building this team up before 2019, they were constantly used as, oh, look at this team. They're building this culture. They're doing all these things. To do what? To shit on the Knicks. And guess what? Sean Marks sold that shit out. That organization sold that shit out for to get Kyrie Irving, to get Kevin Durant, and what have they gotten? Jack fucking shit. Fuck them, fuck Kyrie Irving, and fuck Sean Marks. They deserve everything they're getting right now. They sold out their culture for this stuff. And they have gotten nothing for it, and they deserve nothing for it, and they're going to continue to get nothing for it. And and that is exactly what should happen. Uh, I am going to now shut the hell up for the next good time, and uh, I'm going to pass the torch on to either of you guys. But Jordan, I want to get your uh, thoughts on this, because you are, uh, look, one, you are Jewish, and two, you are a Cavs fan. You saw Kyrie Irving for years and years and years. You supported Kyrie Irving for years and years. Um, so the floor is yours. Yeah. I mean, so I was talking about this at dinner with my dad and I about just kind of the evolution of Kyrie Irving. So, right. Kyrie comes to the Cavs and within a fir- the first few years you hear, Oh, like he may be caught up in like some gang stuff, but nothing bad, right? Nobody's dying. And then end of his Cavs tenure, he starts talking like a flat earther. And I mean, I remember on the road trip in pod, like, RJ and Channing Fire, like, well, he's probably joking. Like, he, he doesn't actually believe this. And he's more or less just trying to prove a point. And then, right, so he does the Celtic shit, kind of same stuff over and over again. COVID happens when he's with the Nets, and then he's an anti-vaxxer. And again, like, this is, like, I think dumb, but at the end of the day, if you were going to get vaccinated, Kyrie Irving's not going to change your thoughts on it. And if you weren't going to get vaccinated... It, Kyrie Irving getting vaccinated wouldn't change your thoughts on it. Right, right. Right, like, it, it's stu- it's stupid, it is selfish, but it's nonsense at the same time. Or at least, like, not compared to this. I mean, what Kyrie Irving did, right, it is two things. One is, I mean, this film is, like, one of the most anti-Semitic films to come out in the last five years, uh, just in terms of tropes. Second, this defending of Alex Jones, right? Like, Alex Jones is a guy that now has to pay, I think, millions of dollars because of the Sandy Hook shit. Like, he's a is it terrible billions? Are we sure? Is it? Are we sure? I, build, maybe, maybe. I don't know. What, I thought it was just millions. But it could yeah, be, I no, think I he really likes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, like, I think that, uh, right, like, he's a terrible human. There, there's literal podcasts just, like, Every day, there's a new episode, and it just follows the saga that is Alex Jones, right, in in the bad stuff. He's a terrible human. And what made all of this worse is when Kyrie Irving's questioned about it, he's like, no, I watched the film. Okay, well, like, and, like, his camp came out with this whole thing, like, oh, well, we met with the Anti-Defamation League, and we've learned. Like, bullshit. Like, I'm sorry, like, like, bullshit. Like, either A, you didn't watch the film, in which case you're just being an arrogant ass, right, and, like, insisting that you watch it. Or B, you did watch it, and you didn't think there was a problem with it, and you still probably don't, but you had a 30-minute conversation with some, I mean, ostensible lobbyists. So now you realize, like, you're going to kind of change your public tone a little bit. 
But, like, it's total bullshit. Like, I don't know. I mean, I I think this is a problem, unlike the COVID stuff, like the anti-vax stuff, because, right, not getting the vaccine or getting a vaccine is a pretty, like, significant choice. Watching a film is not, right? He tweets that out. People can watch that film. It's easily findable online. And that has, like, long-term consequences. So, like, I think Kyrie Irving's always kind of been a nut. But he's gone from being a nut to being, like, selfish to being a legitimately bad human. And I get, like, our athletes aren't all great humans, right? But he's a bad one. Like, this is, like, like the NBA doing more or less nothing feels like the NFL with my former football team, the Browns, and Deshaun Watson. Like, it's like, oh, well, we can't do anything. you're being yeah. a bad boy, so let's move on. Yeah, I mean, and I think... um to your point, like, you know, it just feels like, like what Sean Marks had a quote today where he was like, oh, you know, let's let him simmer down. And it's like, is he a baby? Like, is he like a child? I think he said, let the situation simmer down, which in some ways is worse, to be honest. But yeah. just to, just to get the quote out there. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just all, it's all bullshit to me. And like, you know, he, look, he's never, he'll never get criticized. Sean Marks will never get criticized. I've never seen a GM who's been on the job for what he's been on the job for, like, fucking seven, eight years now. This fucking guy, apparently any bad thing that happens in that's totally out of his control, can't control it. Any great thing is just him. He's a genius. Fucking, you know, just the, the best guy ever. This guy's a joke, okay? He's a joke. He sold everybody on the world. We're building this culture. We're building this culture. This culture is great. Everybody loves it. That's why we got these guys. These guys come. As soon as he sold out everything that he had built up to get these guys... And since then, he has never had control of this franchise. He has never been able to hold any of these players accountable. They're still not holding Kyrie, Kyrie Irving accountable. He played tonight. This man plays for the Brooklyn Nets. Brooklyn. There might not be a more Jewish place in the entire world outside of Israel than Brooklyn, New York. It is an embarrassment. And it is a joke that he is still playing has had no repercussions from the team, has had no punishment, absolutely nothing from the team, from the league, from anything. It is a joke. It is an absolute joke. And all these people, like Adam Silver, uh, the entire league, you know, the, the league's leadership, the Nets, Joe Sy, fuck him. Complete. I mean, we already knew he was a piece of shit, given, like, you know, his entire background. Um, uh, as you know, the the you know, what was this whole thing? Oh yeah, no, no, actually, you know, China's great. Like, this whole Kong, Hong Kong thing—it's not a big deal. You guys are making a mountain out of a molehill. Fuck him. Um, and you know, like it, it's it's all it, it all feels a little bit like, and I hate to say this because it's like you don't want to think of this, but it's like it feels like chickens coming home to roost, right? It's like. You wanted to brush us under the rug for so long. You wanted to act like nothing was a big deal. You know, oh, it's fine. Like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna come back this year, and and now all these guys are gonna be focused on just basketball, and that's all it's gonna be about. And it lasted five games, six games, whatever it was, and it it didn't because Kyrie Irving is a he, he can't be relied upon, and you tried to paint him as somebody like you can rely upon, and that organization deserves all the shit they're going through, and. If we're going to be real, at some point, the conversation needs to shift to the NBA. Like, how are you allowing this to happen? And and 
how do you have no influence in the situation? I think that 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 concerns me. But Stacy, um, you know, you haven't talked at all, really. But you know, if you have any thoughts, please go ahead. No, I think I'd echo everything that's been said. I'd add that, like, um, I tweeted about this, like, just I think everything that's come up over the last few weeks, and it's issues of varying seriousness. To be clear, uh, pretty much every conversation I see on Twitter kind of sucks. Uh, this issue is at the top of that, but uh, you had the attack on uh, Nancy Pelosi's husband. Um, and these are issues that seem very cut and dry, right? Like, don't like Kyrie didn't tweet a movie that was like, oh, there was one anti-Semitic remark or something in there, right? Or there's a portion of it. Like, it is core to the movie. I mean, people have posted. But they're it. not jokes. Like, yeah. sorry, I, I hate. I don't mean to interrupt, but like, I saw this thing. Like, oh, I mean, they're, they're jokes. It's just, like, no, no, no. Purpose of the movie, right? It is anti-Semitism, or like one of the purposes. It's I mean, not to be the, funny. The, the movie itself it's like says online like, cop, basically. Yeah. You know, like the movie, the movie basically says that the Holocaust is a hoax. Like it flat out says that. So, yeah, I mean, and Kyrie admitted he said he had watched the movie, and he said people should watch the movie. Like the, the defense of him is like, oh, you got to watch the movie. Like, okay, well. I actually don't, but if it says that like the Holocaust, the Holocaust is a hoax, I, I don't think I need to watch it to 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 believe that. Yes, it's like a very anti-Semitic movie. Yeah, so I mean, it's just um, it's tiresome, right? So now people are saying this. I saw someone compare him to Emmett Till. Um, so you just it's um, that's crazy. It's and I mean, can you hold him responsible for all of those things? And on a certain level, you can. Um, I mean, I think in some ways that's probably what he wanted is to start these kind of just conversations. Um, um, and, um, and it's just a shitty place to be in, in terms of the dialogue. I mean, I think that, um, the conversation on anti-Semitism is a, is pretty cut and dry. Um, it's a pretty bad time in the country to be tweeting that out. I'd add that this isn't like you know, some uh, very peaceful time in the United States, right? Um, and, um, and yeah, I mean, the response from the league hasn't been uh, satisfying. You have a lot of prominent figures who have tried to defend what he's saying. Or not defend what he's saying, but defend him. Um, it kind of parallels what's going on with Kanye West a little bit. Um, although, um, it's arguable, yeah, I mean, it's it's arguable that Kyrie is some of the things that Kyrie like that movie that he tweeted is is just as bad or maybe worse than um than what Kyrie than what Kanye did right which is not to minimize what Kanye did it's just to say that this is this on a, on a you know it's it's shocking stuff I don't know what the Nets do I don't know if they bench him I don't know if they fire him I don't know what the league does um, I think the NBPA's timid response Schwinn is also a little bit worrisome you wonder how much. I don't want to say support Kyrie has, but, um, you know, you wonder how tricky it is given their constituency and how many people might, again, not echo Kyrie's views, but um, but not think he should be punished for it. So just um, overall very I mean, concerning stuff. I mean, I think it's... I think it's safe to say he's not alone, like, which is depressing. As a, Again, as an NBA fan, as a fan of the sport, as a fan of, you know... Like obviously there are a numerous, you know, guys in this league that that do wonderful things off the court and and are 
you know, obviously very educated and aware of things that are going on, current events, politically, whatever. Um, But yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie, like, it's it's depressing for me as, like, I'm Indian, obviously, Stacey, you're Indian too. Like, it's depressing for me because it's like, well, what if I, what if, like, we, you know, Indians were, like, this... The, the the ire of one of these kind of situ like a, a documentary like this and an NBA player of Kyrie's stature, you know, it tacitly, explicitly, implicitly, however, um, promoted that type of propaganda, how would they react? And that's that's what's depressing to me, because I'm like, this could easily just be it could be me, it could be you, right? Like we could be in the same situation as I think a lot of Jewish people are, where they're like we love this sport, but like, it feels like the people that we root for and, and I don't want to say idolize, but like that we really appreciate their craft. Don't care. You know, they don't care. And I think that's tough. Um, and, um, you know, look, I'm, I think it's safe to say I'm not the most articulate person in the world. Uh, but like, I don't know it, it for me, it, it just, like, I, I've had actually multiple people who are Jewish DM me on Twitter and be like, oh, wow, like, thank you for, like, you know, saying things, like, about this and, like, you know, stand. And it's like, I don't think I should be getting DMs like that because it's like, everybody should just see this stuff and be like, yeah, this is actually terrible. Like, why are, like, why, why? it should be very comfortable to be like, yeah, actually, no, Jewish people don't, you know, let me tell you something about, like, they don't just, like, worship Satan. And, uh, they, like, the Holocaust happened. Like, this should not be stuff that, like, I should get DMs about where it's like, oh, like, thank you. So, like, no, everybody should feel good and and comfortable and right to be like, no, this is wrong. This is wrong. And, like, again, like, I think it really, like, look, those inside the NBA guys, like, they're not the, you know, they, they have their own bullshit going on. But, like. The fact that they were able to see this and be like, yeah, no, actually, this is insane. What are we doing here? Like, this. Like, like I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, Charles Barkley, I love, like, he's a fun guy. Like, I, Charles Barkley should not be the guy that, like, everybody's like, oh, well, look, Charles Barkley's saying it's wrong, so it's wrong. Right. Right. Like, like, but, like, Charles Barkley, like, is one of the only guys that is, like, I, like, I, and this is a broader problem I have with the Nets like organization in general is like the two facedness here. Um, right. So like they talked about this. I remember they signed Steve Nash to be the head coach. And like the year they signed Steve Nash, I believe Monty Williams was available. I actually think Udoka was on the market yeah. at that point as a potential. He was like, he was there, there were, he was an assistant. Yeah, there moment. were yeah. black coaches that they could have hired that are that, Steve Nash never he was not gonna be a good coach. Like I'm sorry. Like it doesn't take a genius. Everybody's like, oh, well, Ty Lue is a good coach. Well, yeah, Ty Lue also spent, like, seven years on Doc Rivers' staff. Like, Ty Lue learned how to be a coach. Steve Nash was never going to be a good one. They picked him because, well, he's Steve Nash. But it's like, this organization is a whole, and it's not just the Nets. There's a lot of NBA organizations and in other sports organizations that do this shit, where they're like, well, you know, you're attacking our player, and you're, if a white player said this, you wouldn't think anything of it. It's like, well, 
bullshit. Like, like I, and I tell that on Twitter. It's like, oh, well, like, there's a little bit of racism at, like, wanting Kyrie fired. And it's like, you can't tell me this organization that, like, picked Steve Nash and has a president that is, like, saying the Uyghur stuff in China is not actually happening. Like, like you can't tell me they're also the organization that it cares about social justice. Well, right? it's, it's worth like noting, Jordan. It's worth noting. Sorry, I'll, um, Sean Marks was made available to the media, so there are people who believe this absolves them of all blame as an organization, and that that makes them a stand-up franchise. But go ahead, sorry. Yeah, I mean, but like, do you like honestly, honestly, like, do you think Shark Sean Marks like, like? Right, what is he going to say? Right, like, and he should say more than he has, of course, but, like, what the fuck's this guy going to say? He's not going to go say it's a good thing, but if you asked him honestly, if this were any other business, like, if in my professional life I tweeted out that video, I'd be fired tomorrow, and rightfully so. No matter, like, how good any of us are at our jobs, right, we get fired tomorrow. So, like, if you want to talk about it like that, Sean Marks, like the answer should be, oh, I'm firing Kyrie Irving, but they're not going to do that because I think there is protection from the players you can get. Like, and this doesn't mean like somebody like a Chris Paul or a LeBron are bad people for like not coming out and saying Kyrie shouldn't be part of the league. Like, it's fine, but the protection's there and it's in sports in general. Like, I gave up on the Browns. I watched the Browns go 0 16, 1 15, watched every game those years. And my entire life, we've been terrible. And I had to get, like, I just personally couldn't do it. And I'm not saying people should not root for the Browns. But, like, I couldn't root for a team that made Deshaun Watson the highest paid player in the NFL. And that then sent out their GM who basically went and said, oh, well, Deshaun's learning. Like, he won't be as bad of a guy anymore. This is growth opportunity. Right? And it's like, that's kind of how I feel with this Kyrie stuff. Like, yeah, I hope Kyrie learns. I hope there's growth opportunity. But he shouldn't be employed to have that. Right? Like, him being part of the Nets should not be the barrier to him having this growth opportunity. If anything, it should be the opposite. Like, fire that guy so then he has to learn. But that's not how sports work. So, well, it's, it's, I think it's, like, it's like a weird thing where I think it's like, oh, well, he has, you know, it's a contract. And it's like, okay, well, like, you're allowed to just, like, suspend him you can like i know they're worried about like oh well, we don't want to sp- suspend him without pay okay suspend him with pay if that's like if that's the main like suspend him with pay that's fine that's follow me but like there needs to be consequences for this shit you can't let this stuff happen and i, I would say this for anybody like I, I like i've seen a lot of oh what about this team what about that team what about that? okay but like we're not talking about this we're talking about a current issue right now with Kyrie irving and like the NBA has set a precedent. We saw what happened with Myers Leonard. We saw what happened with Myers Leonard. We've seen what happens with a guy like Donald Sterling got caught on video saying things that were obviously extremely racist towards black people. And yes, I know that like, yeah, we can do the semantics thing of like, oh, well, actually it wasn't the NBA and his wife did this thing and that thing. It's okay. But like, there was obviously real movement within the league to like punish him and get him out of the league and move on. There needs to be, like, a real push from the league internally, both from the player side, both from the league side, to really handle the situation in a way that means something. Like, I'm sorry, that NBA PA statement they put out today, it's like, I mean, that took you two days to put out? 
to just say like they could because because I think um, the Nets right they put out a statement initially or the NBA I think the league itself put out a statement initially but it was like oh we don't condone any type of hate but it didn't say specifically like we don't condone anti-Semitism and like that might be yeah I mean like I would fucking hope they don't condone hate right yeah like Like, I don't know (laughs) I don't know what that means it's like okay so you you're good job like you don't want people to hate each other like that seems like a very like we're going to talk about Julius Randle like I've been saying about Julius Randle he's been getting held to a very bare minimum standard uh but like this is like you're holding yourself to the most bare minimum standard let me tell you I want everybody to know we don't condone hate congratulations you did it guys you made sure not to condone hate um I don't think anybody that's listening to this anymore wants to listen to us talk about Kyrie anymore but if you guys have anything else to say please say it now uh, and feel free to. Uh, I would like to do. Stacy, Jordan, last chance. Okay, we're gonna move on. Uh, but NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back. So tip off the season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any five dollar NBA money line bet. And get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings up to 100% with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt in, and place a stepped up same game parlay today. With payouts bigger than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is where I go to bet on the NBA. Stacy, what do you think? You think the Knicks have a shot tomorrow against the Hawks? What are we thinking? Well, I certainly hope so. I will be there in person. Um, well, I would hope so too. And I think you should bet on it. And if you want to bet on it, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right. Let's talk actual basketball now. Let's forget the Kyrie Irving of it all. Um, Let's go back. Let's rewind a little bit. The Knicks played the Cavs on Sunday. I saw a a lot of Knicks fans that were very despondent over the conclusion of this game which I understand the fourth quarter was miserable to watch. Uh, I'm, you know, Stacy, I would like to get your thoughts on this. Uh, I don't know if I agree with the overall tenor of that stuff, but I do get the frustration, but I, I'm curious to kind of get like your thoughts on it, because I think that the, the parts of that game that bother me are not the things that I feel like are being discussed broadly among Knicks fans. Yeah, I um, I think it's first of all, there's not a whole lot of I wouldn't say coherence. It's it's a lot of different things. There, are, I saw complaints that oh, Tibbs didn't play Obi enough. I saw complaints that said oh, the bench blew the game. I saw a large number of people who were upset because, as well, not luck would have it, he's a terrific player, but um, as it would ha- as as fate would have it. Uh, Donovan Mitchell had an excellent game and burned the Knicks. Um, and I think, um, you know, a lot of the, the conversation was, well, why didn't we make the trade? 
you know, he was clearly a difference maker. Um, and, um, I mean, I think a lot of, um, a lot of it misses the mark on what kind of the issues are that plague the team. Um, namely the defense. I think their perimeter defense right now is not good. Um, and basically if Mitchell Robinson has a not great game, they're going to give up close to 120 points. That's just the fact, especially against good teams. And he's more likely to have a bad game against good teams with front lines like the Bucks have or like uh, Cleveland has. And there's a lot of just frustration there. Um, I think a lot of it is the byproduct of of where the Knicks are at. And I mean, we've beaten this issue to death, but the fact is they're in they're in uh, what many people call no man's land, right? They're not bad enough to be in the Wemby sweepstakes, and they're not good enough to really be a contender. Um, they look much improved from last year, and it may not have a very significant impact on their standing. And I think a lot of that frustration was coming out. Uh, I think there's frustration with young players for not um, for none of them really being a star. Um, I don't think it's so much directly IQ or Obi um, as much as I think that if RJ had been playing up to the level we expect, and he wasn't bad against Cleveland, but he hadn't take that, taken that leap, that would make you say, all right, well, we held on to this guy, so even if we didn't trade for a star, it's okay. Um, he's kind of not the same player as always been, but we haven't seen that leap, right? So uh, I just sensed a lot of frustration. Um, I haven't been as frustrated, to be honest, as a lot of other people, maybe because this season has gone a little bit how I expected. Um, I think in some ways I've been pleasantly surprised with Tibbs. Um, I think that he's been willing to try some different things, but relatively speaking. Uh, there's still things he hasn't tried, like he hasn't tried Obi and Randall together. Um, relative to uh, relative on the other tip scale, on the tip scale, but like I thought he would be completely averse to playing Brunson and quickly together, right? So things like that. So maybe, and I know you're going to say, well, you're giving, you're setting the bar very low, but like I'm not, I'm just not surprised about anything at this point. Um, but like Randall okay, so has been. Yeah. Don't, don't you think that like says something though that like we're not so sort of like because I agree with you, like he has done more than I expected him to do, but like that that's the problem is like I we're like, we. What yeah, we, but I also I will. What say, if we actually experiment? Like, like how many minutes has RJ played with the bench? How many minutes has Jalen Brunson actually played with Emmanuel quickly? How many minutes? Like, oh, and Fournier oh, is oh, still oh. starting, right? Yeah, Fournier is still starting. Okay, we got that going on. Then we've got this whole fucking thing with Obi and and Randall. And I saw a lot of there were a lot of fucking losers. The victory. Oh. Obi gave up so many points of Kevin Love. This is why he doesn't start. This is why Julius Randle starts. Are we really going to do this? Because I can pull up a lot of film from last year of Julius Randle just being a gigantic asshole on defense, not doing anything, not even trying. And, like, yeah, you can tell me Obi Toppin messes up on defense. I believe that. I know that. I see it. But you can never tell me he's dogging it on defense. Because he might mess up, but he'll try to recover. Okay? So I don't want to hear that. And... And the fact of the matter is, that Milwaukee game last Friday, that was embarrassing. That was everything that I've criticized Tibbs for in one game coming to fruition. Okay? He he does not make quick substitutions in the second half. He lets that lead balloon to 21 before he actually makes any substantial move. As soon The bench brings the game back to some reasonable state. I think it was like 11 or 12 or 13. 
What does he do midway through the fourth quarter? He brings Randall back in for Obi. Obi had clearly outplayed him to that point, was more efficient as a scorer, was playing with some level of energy on defense. He lets Randall... Like, these are the things, like, I, I I am trying very hard, very, very hard to give Tibbs an honest shot. I have not been going out of my way to, you know, destroy him after games or whatever. But, like, that game is definitely a, a red flag for me. And I think the, the Cleveland game is a red flag for me, too. And we can talk about this now, but, like, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. I thought he got absolutely schooled. He got so fucking schooled by Bickerstaff in the second half. Got completely schooled by Bickerstaff in the second half. Bickerstaff knew. He knew what Tibbs' rotations would be. He pulled Mitchell early in the third quarter. I think he pulled one of Mobley or Allen early in the third quarter. Then he brought them back in at the end of the third because he knew he could line up their minutes and most of his starters' minutes again against the Knicks' full bench unit. And that is when, if you look at it, that is when the Cavs, he basically was willing to lose the lead because he knew that he could blitz the Knicks from two, three minutes left in the third quarter until the end of the game. Just because he knew exactly how Tibbs would do his rotations. He schooled him. He absolutely blitzed him, and that is exactly what happened. And the people that are like, oh, the bench blew lead. You want to know what happened when the bench blew lead? It was a tie game. You want to know what the final score was? The Knicks lost 121 to 108. They got schooled. They lost by 13 points. So if you want to blame the bench because you have some weird thing about like, oh, Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin aren't actually good and anybody thinks they are is an idiot, you, along with Kyrie Irving, can go fuck yourself. Um, but like, it's just like, I, I've never seen a fan base that just like wants to not believe in their young players so much. Like, can we just, I'm not even saying the Knicks win if 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 Tibbs does so, if he staggers the rotations better, but can we see it? Can we see it? Like, will he ever do it? The answer is no. He will never do it. He won't. Like, it's like there are things he will try. There are things he will experiment with. But his level of experimentation, his level of trial and error with this type of roster is nowhere near adequate enough. And we will always be. I don't want to say losing margins, but we will never be maximizing margins. That's for sure. That that is on the sure for this game. Can, can I jump in here for a second too? Because I thought watching that game, one of the things, and I've watched the Knicks a little bit this year, but the Cavs' entire strategy and part of this game too was Kevin Love is not going to play like that most games, right? Like, and I get you make your own luck, right? The Cavs have a system of three point shooting. I think we lead the league in three-point percentage like that lets guys like Kevin Love and Dean Wade have games like that. But the Cavs' entire strategy, Cavs shot more threes in that game, or second most threes in franchise history. The most is like this weird game against the Raptors. But um, otherwise, it's second most in franchise history. And the whole strategy was, and Kevin Love literally said this post-game, like, this is a quote where he basically, I mean, not a direct quote, but he basically said, like, yeah, we knew the Knicks are going to overload the paint when they're playing defense. And they're going to, they do that against everybody and against a team like us that plays a lot of bigs. That could be really effective. 
And so we switched game plans, right? And we made it so we played four out, sometimes five out. Like there was in the fourth quarter, like there were moments where Kevin Love was like, I mean, like not just the elbow, but like so far back behind, just like sitting there. And if it looked like the ball was going to come his way, he'd take a few steps forward and he would have a wide open three. And the only time that wasn't working was when Obi Toppin played. Because I think Obi Toppin's, like, not the most defensively aware guy. But his length and, like, his ability to cover long distances with small movements is, like, really useful. And, yeah, he does dumb shit. So does every second, third, even fourth-year player. But you have to let them play through it or they will keep doing dumb shit. That's all I wanted to say. Like, I think you guys should play Obi Toppin a lot more because I think he's actually really talented and could be a really good NBA player. Yeah, I mean, I like this is this is what I mean. I just feel like we all had this off season. Stacy knows this. Anybody that's listening to this pod knows this. We, I at least you know, I'm not going to say we because I want to speak for everybody. I was very much like. You can't bring, you cannot bring Randall and Tibbs both back. One of them has to go. You already made your decision on Tibbs. Randall's got to go. And lo and behold, they're both back. It's it's not going to change. Like he's not going to. Like it doesn't matter. It does, really doesn't matter to me. Like people can be like, oh well, he's up. Anytime Obi has a bad game, oh well, see this is why. But when he has a good game, it's like, oh well, what, 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 he's got to do it consistently. It's like the standard is just not. It doesn't make any sense. Um, it's just, it's like, and I don't even blame Tim's for it at this point because it's like that's who he is. That's that is how he coaches. Like that's him. And this front office has decided to stick with him. And if they keep sticking with him, we are going to effectively just completely destroy the value you're supposed to get out of a rookie contract that we top in. We're not going to find out anything about him. We're not going to find out enough about how he might play with Randall. You know, maybe it's terrible. Maybe it's good. Maybe we don't know. We have no idea because we just won't try it. Um, we're not going to see how he does in extended minutes when called upon consistently. There's just so much we're not going to find about, find out about. But like at this point, that's on the front office. That's not on the that's not on the coach because the coach is that's who he is. That's how he's always been. You know, whatever you want to say about Tom Thibodeau, he's been an open book. The, the guy coaches how he coaches. There might be some small tweaks, but by and large, he does the same things year after year. Um, so that's on them, and I, I know it. all I can do is hope that that changes. But like, I'm not optimistic. And uh, but at this point, I would say there's more. There should be more frustration. I have been someone who's been apologist for the front office, and less so for Tibbs. Um, you know, to the extent that that was a dichotomy, and I think I'm starting to change there because. I mean, we can debate about the kind of adjustments they should and could be making. The reality is, um, I mean, I wasn't as disappointed with you in the Milwaukee result because I'm, I don't think we're going to beat a team with Giannis. You can play Obi Toppin the whole time. He's getting burned by Giannis. You can play, you can guard Cam. Like, we were getting decimated by that front line. Um, but it's, it's, not, it's not about winning or losing the game. It's about... Do you have a coach yeah, it, I get who that. maximizes your chances? Like, but at this there's, point, there's that's no also way. on the front office. Like, that's also like, on the, 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 and let, I me, agree. let me finish. Let me finish. I agree. So what I'm saying is I'm beyond the point where I'm just going to complain about Tibbs 
game to game. I think it's the biggest issue is that they are in no man's land from a roster construction standpoint. It would be more palatable if Obi, if we were seeing, if we had picked the direction between Obi and Randall, even, even if you think Randall is still young enough to improve, which I don't, if we, if we were seeing that there is some direction and development and we're seeing what these young guys can do, but that's not happening. And we're probably going to end up as the eighth seed, right? We'll see if we can finish ahead of Atlanta. Atlanta looks pretty good so far. So at that, I think we are now at the point where it is on the front office that what are you going to do? I'm, that doesn't mean you have to prioritize Cam Reddish. He hasn't looked that great outside the Memphis game. <clears throat> it doesn't mean you have to um, dump Randall. But there needs to be, we need to see kind of direction. I think that's where a lot of the frustration is coming from. And I think that is a larger issue than than Tibbs. And to the extent that Tibbs is an issue, that's also at the front office at this point because, like you said, this is nothing new, you know? So are they going to move on? Um, we, we just don't know any of that stuff, and that's what uh, a lot of the concerns are coming from. Yeah, and I mean, I think, like, from a front office angle, too, and again, I don't, like, watch every Knicks game or anything, but to some degree, like, R.J. Barrett, I don't know if it's because of Thibs or just the captaining with Thibs being there. R.J. Barrett looks like he's a real player. Like, I mean, like a really good, I, I think he's a really good player. And I think he will continue to improve. And I think, like, giving him the contract was really smart. But, like, guys like Cam Reddish, and, like, I know, like, potential, but, like, I don't know. I, I think going for guys like Cam Reddish, and, like, the Cavs did this a lot, too, where it's like, oh, we'll just trade for all these guys that have an inkling of potential or have one great game when they were a rookie and see what they can do. But, like, at some point, you actually limit development of your other rookies or your other young players that may be good by, like, just trying to prioritize every young player. And, like, I, I think, like, you guys, like, the Kevin Knox thing was another example of that. Or, like, Dennis Smith Jr. Like, these guys just aren't, like, you got to pick a few young guys and then develop the hell out of those young guys. Um, but it can't be a whole team, in my opinion. Like, that's a personal thing. But I, I And then if you wanted to do that anyways, Dibs definitely is the wrong coach for it. Yeah, I mean, so the Reddish thing is weird. Like, I actually like that they made that move because it was, like, very much indication, at least it seemed like an indication that somebody in the front office was taking a longer term view with this team, which I think is the right view. Like they, they're not close to contention. They're not going to compete for a championship anytime soon. They don't have the horses to run that race. Um, and I'm okay with that. So like you got Cam Reddish for protect the first and Kevin Knox, Kevin Knox is awful. He's just not going to be a good NBA player. The protected first is a Hornets protected first. Like, it might not even convey as a first at this point. We don't know. But anyway, the point is, like, I, I get that Cam Reddish is, you know, we've talked about this a lot on the pod. He's a, He has the physical tools and the size and the skill set and, you know, the athletic ability that we just don't have from anybody else in this roster. He's a big wing. We don't have any other big wings. We just don't. Um, but, like, it's it's you so you like so you're kind like your to your point it just feels like okay like what are we trying to do here because i don't see 
I'm just gonna like I don't understand Evan Fournier's role in this team at all. I, I just don't like I, I really don't get it. Um, I know that Quentin Grimes has been hurt, and you know that opens up minutes for Fournier. But at the same time, I'm just like I don't really understand like what what does it what is he supposed to be doing here and. Why are we playing him so much? He's played more minutes than Quickly. He's played more minutes than Obi. He's played more minutes than Reddish. Like, he's not important to this team's present or the future. And and to go back to Stacey's point, like, I agree. Like, this is not on Tibbs at a certain point because Tibbs is a known quantity. This is on the front office. And if the front office wants to, like, keep him in place, but then they also want to sell fans this idea of, like, well, we're trying to develop our young guys and, like, that's our goal. We're taking this long, you know, this long-term vision and path. And it's just like, I think it's horseshit. Like, it, it's horseshit. I'm sorry. Like, you either are or you're not about it. And, like, to your point, Jordan, like, yeah, like, I think you need to play quickly more. I think you need to play Obi more. And maybe they fail. Maybe they, they can't, What you know, the, the impact they have in shorter spurts, maybe it doesn't carry over. But guess what? At least now you know. You know now. Right now, we don't know anything. All we know is that, like, they're good in short spurts against bench units and sometimes against starters. And um, they, like, we, we don't, we, we know that, like, there's evidence to suggest them and them when they play with RJ is a very good combination. Like, we don't, but we don't know anything definitively because we're not trying to. What we're trying to do is just, like, I don't know, do what Tibbs thinks we should do to the best way to win games with this team. And I just, I totally reject it. Like, I don't think this is the, even if you're trying to win games, I don't think we're doing the best job of doing that. And so, like, to me, that is even more of an indictment on the front office because it's like, well, are you about development? Are you trying to win? And maybe either way you go, the guy that you would have as your head coach is not the guy to do it. And it's like, but are you, are you willing to make that decision? Will you make that decision? I don't know. I, I I just really am struggling with this team right now because like there's a fun team there. There's a good team there. It is a good team. Like I don't think people should be losing their minds over like, oh my God, we lost to Cleveland and, and Milwaukee and now everything is hopeless and there's no reason to like even pay attention to the season. We should all be miserable about like the young players developing and all this stuff. Like I don't agree with that. But at the same time, I'm like, like, like I'll, I'll, as this is a perfect example. If Tibbs coached the Cleveland Cavaliers, there's absolutely zero chance that Dean Wade ever plays a minute as a small forward. None, no shot. And, no and, and by the way, Dean Wade, like, is a small forward, is kind of a this year revelation because, like, I think partially, like, JB Bakersep just has balls, but like. He looks, Dean Wade, like, is in, I think, out of all the two and three-man lineups, him at the three is, like, in all of the best ones. Like, Dean Wade, Donovan Mitchell, I think, is one of the best two-man lineups on our team this year. Uh, Dean Wade, Donovan Mitchell, Kevin Love is, I think, the best. And, And I could be a little bit wrong, but this is also, like, stats mixed with personal opinion. That has been unstoppable. Whether it was against you guys or against Boston or Detroit a few games prior, like, I mean, 
I, the sound of it is like Karis LeVert is going to get the starting three spot when Garland comes back. But I don't know how long he's going to hold it down because like you have the Boston game where Karis LeVert has 41 points and then you have every other game this season where Karis LeVert is kind of just bleh. And like the benefit of a guy like Bickerstaff is Bickerstaff is willing to try. Like I think he'll put LeVert at the three until LeVert loses it. But when Le- when Levert loses it, I think Wade is going to be the three, and I think Levert will start coming off the bench and leading the bench unit, at least until Rubio gets back. And so, like, but that's what Bickerstaff is. That's why they brought in Bickerstaff, was they were like, this is a young coach who doesn't know what he's doing. Like, he's experienced, he has family ties, but he's going to try things. And he tried things. And, like, Thibs, is, like, asking Thibs to play a lot of young guys is like looking like let's say you run a utilities company and you have the, a plumber who's been one of the best plumbers on the planet for 20 years and then you you tell that plumber you bring him some a new company hires them and they say listen man we want you to keep doing plumbing but we also want you to do a little bit of electricity and then you get mad when he can't like like he's not great at doing the electricity he just wants to fucking plumb right like and that to me is kind of my view is that like Thibs is a known quantity, and I almost don't think it's fair to Thibs to be like, why aren't you fucking doing the electricity when we know you're a plumber? Hey, but that's a front office thing, right? That was a front office decision years ago, and it paid, like, you guys made the playoffs and, like, had a really good team, and I think you have a good team this year, but, like, there's a cost to it. Yeah, um, I mean, they're also just in a tough spot. Um, I I do think that um, they probably ideally would want to move on from some guys. Um, there was enough smoke for me to believe that they weren't trying to dump Randall, but that they were open to moving him. There was enough smoke for me to believe the same thing about Fournier, and I actually expect that to happen. Um, but the reality is those trades aren't out there. Those guys have big sell. I, I don't even think they're like, Everyone's like, well, Evan Fournier is a negative contract. I'm not sure it's that simple. Um, I think there are teams that could actually use Evan Fournier. I think, I mean, I think he's he get makes about what you would expect a guy to make who is, I mean, he's an elite shooter by NBA standards, right? Um, finished in, I think, the top ten in threes made last year. Versatile, all of that. So they're in a bit of a tough spot, um, but. Um, but I think that, um, you know, it, it kind of, this just, it is what it is. And that's why, you know, the way you were talking about it, that's why I just, I maybe it's just I've lost energy after kind of an off season where there was a lot of frustration. Um, because I, I don't think we could, like, I think that there are, there are more problems that ail the team than Tibbs, right? There is, the front line has not been good. Um, and it's not just Randall. Mitchell Robinson, there was a time when Knicks fans were higher on, on uh, Mitchell Robinson and Jared Allen um, when Jared Allen was in Brooklyn. And the, the, their games... There was just... a time that Jordan Cohen was higher on Mitchell Robinson <laughs> and Jared Allen. It wasn't all that long ago either. <laughs> yeah, and, and the, you know, you just... Not just offense, you know, the, the consistency hasn't been there for Mitch. Um, and, you know, people are like, why didn't we trade for Donovan Mitchell? Brunson... Um, Brunson... Donovan Mitchell and, and Randall could compete as a trio, and I just have to laugh, right? Um, I think that if Mitchell Robinson is playing the way Jared Allen is, and maybe if Randall was also Evan Mobley, 
we would have felt a lot better about that trade. But those aren't that the reality of the situation. It's not that. Um, I don't have a problem with the contract Mitch was given. I've been more of a defender of him than Schwinn has for sure. But um, but he's been bad, and he's been exposed against two good front lines in Milwaukee and Cleveland. Um, and the Knicks just they're they're a little bit stuck. Um, there aren't really any great solutions for the front office. Um, you know, maybe they, maybe they, I think that the one we wanted them to go with was trade the vets and if quickly, and, and everyone asked, well, what if quickly and OB aren't those guys and RJ isn't that guy, then, you know, get Scoot Henderson or, or Wambanyama, right? Or one of, you know, it's not tanking. It's finding out what you have because where you're at doesn't seem to have a lot of upward mobility. And that's just not, it's not just because I actually like the Randall and Brunson pairing so far. It's not bad. Um, Randall's been, you know, worse against good teams. Brunson, I think he had a couple of, he struggled a little bit against Milwaukee. He didn't have a great game against Cleveland, but I think he's capable of really good games. I actually, I, I'm going to disagree. Like, I, I don't think he had a great game by like efficiency standpoint against us, against yeah. Cavs. But like, I actually thought he was a problem for us. I think the Cavs like very clearly created a game plan to deal with him. And that takes energy. Like, I think Brunson was good. And, like, it's right, one of those things where, like, the stat line doesn't show it, but, like, Brunson's mere existence on the court changed how the Cavs played. And he's been, he's been a huge addition for the Knicks, right? Even, even against Milwaukee, um, you know, he was able to, you know, he played within himself, um, didn't have a great game. But uh, my point is that it's not just the fact that the Knicks, it's not like the front office has just screwed the Knicks and missed opportunities. A big reason they're a little bit stuck right now is that, the East has gotten better, right? Um, you know, a double whammy of not getting down on Mitchell is another team who maybe you were in the same range as is now vaulted to perhaps contender status. And we can talk about that in a little bit. Um, you know, and the other teams have gotten better. Giannis isn't going anywhere. Boston is obviously really good. So that's a big part of it. Um, so it's not that's not all on the front office. But the reality of the situation is the Knicks are stuck in kind of that middle ground. And... Um, and that's why everyone is a little bit antsy right now. NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back. So tip off the season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings up to 100%. With DraftKings stepped up same game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt in, and place a stepped up same game parlay today. With payouts bigger than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is where I go to bet on the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, make any $5 bet this week, and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Lately, I've been listening to a lot of JID, and it's been great. One reason it's been great to listen to, because I use my Raycon wireless earbuds to do it. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, these earbuds are so comfortable, and they will not budge. Trust me, Raycons give you eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. Raycons are priced just right. You get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. 
It's no wonder Raycon's everyday earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews. I personally just love the, uh, the, the earbud tap functions. Those are really nice. Uh, the awareness mode is also great because as soon as you turn on your little Bluetooth thing on the phone, it automatically locks in. And uh, let me tell you, I go on a run every single day. I can't hear anything uh, when I have these in. So highly recommend, have enjoyed my usage of them. Uh, go to buyraycon.com today and use code TBPN15 to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's code TBPN15 at buyraycon.com to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com, code TBPN15. I think the Randall thing is just... I'm I'm just never going to buy into it, man. I, I'm just not. Like, I, I've watched this guy enough. He's played, what, is this his fourth year now? Fifth year? I don't even know. I feel like it's been forever. It's his fourth year now on the team. Like, yeah, he's trying harder, and he's moving better, and it's like he's not a natural quick decision, quick twitch decision maker. Like, he's just not. And I think he actively takes away from Brunson. I, I do. Like I, I don't. Like, yeah, they're they're playing okay together. I think that says more about Brunson. It says about Randall, man. Like I really do. Like I, I don't watch them play together, and I'm like, wow, what a beautiful flowing combination they make. Wow, look at the the fucking way these guys play off each other. No, I never think that. I watch them, and I'm like, okay, I guess they got a good shot there. I mean, the end of that Hornets game, like. I don't know. Was that good? Like, was it great that they were playing off each other? I, I guess it's better than not. But at the same time, I'm like, this doesn't feel like it's benefiting anybody other than Julius Randle. Is it benefiting Brunson? To me, no. Is it benefiting R.J. Barrett? No. Is it benefiting Mitchell Robinson? Not really. Is it benefiting Evan Fournier? Not especially. Like, at some point, why are stars stars? Okay. Yeah. Yes. It's because they put up great numbers, and they, you know, they are individually excellent players. But it's because their individual excellence allows others to shine. It amplifies the skill sets and impact of other players. Who? I mean, when have you ever watched Julius Randle and been like, "Wow, he's really like bringing out the best in this guy, Reggie Bullock"? super limited offensive player who just couldn't do anything other than like shoot off of dribble handoffs. Is that the the dream here? Like what is Julius Randle? What is the way that Julius Randle amplifies what Jalen Brunson is best at? What is the way that Julius Randle amplifies what RJ Barrett is best at? I don't see any, I don't see a fucking thing. And that's not like, really a criticism of Randall even. I mean, I guess it is, but it's like, it's not even hating on him. It's just the reality of, like, his game. But, I mean, not... even, even stuff like when he runs pick and roll with Brunson and he gets it on the short roll, you don't feel like his decision-making isn't better? Well, I would love to know what he's shooting on those on those plays. But, yeah, that's... But, I mean, like, they, he's been finding Mitch, you know, like, in those four-on-threes, everyone talked about, you know, he can do the Draymond thing. He hasn't been that, but... I think the results from those plays have been generally positive. I mean, I don't know that you 
need a $26 million player to do that. And to your point, I do think it says more about Brunson, but you know, Randall has executed those plays pretty much to the best of his abilities, I would say. But, like, that's such a, again, like, okay, that's the best of his ability. I'm not allowed to He's, got, he's been legitimately good at that, I would say. This has he been legitimately good? I don't think he's allegedly been good as a player. No, I'm talking about in that specific situation. But, like, which but, like, I think... but, but who cares? Like we're we're talking about him as a player. Like the bar for him can't can't be like oh he's doing well in this very specific play type. Instance. So what what, like, what what discourages me about Randall more is that look at the two teams we just played. Right? The I have debated. That's in the Bulls. <laughs> the. Um, <laughs> I've debated this with Dallas Amico. I think one of the first articles I wrote for the Strickland was about how I think the power forward is one of the most important positions, is really important to building a contender, and specifically when it comes to defensive versatility. And the last two teams we played, coincidentally, well, these are maybe not the best examples because their power forwards are potentially, one is definitely generational as a versatile defender, uh, Mobley seems well on his way to being there and has some gifts that are certainly in that. I didn't category. know you were so high on Boyan Bogdanovich. <laughs> yeah. It's Dean Wade and Kevin Love, actually. Um, what is Love? Amen. <laughs> I actually love Dean Wade. I think he's a really underrated player. He hit a T. Oh, you missed my. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a I'm a big big Dean Wade fan. I think that guy is gonna. I mean, as I said earlier. He's, he's he's pretty good. And Kevin Love once locked up Steph Curry to seal a game seven. So, um, but my point is that you need that four versatility and there's just nothing Randall does at a high enough level. And I think, and, and Mitch by himself is asked to do too much. And even if he was more consistent, I just, <laughs> combining that with Brunson and Fournier, I, I just don't see the Knicks having a good enough defense. Their offense has actually been pretty good, I think. Yeah, um, I, I don't understand the people that are like... Randall with me. Yeah, and I mean, it, it is a concern with Obi for that matter too. Like, I don't know that Obi is the solution long term. Uh, he does juice the offense, but um, but you're not going to have the kind of defensive front mind that I think contenders have, and that is a problem. To me. But we want to find out. Like, that's we're no, not we should no, no, that's out. that's for sure. But what yeah. I'm saying is, if you were to ask me, is Obi the future starting power forward in the Knicks? That's my resignation, and I think the two teams we played show that I want two good defenders there, and I want the four to be especially kind of a Swiss Army knife who can do a million things. And Obi does his best, and maybe he'll get there. But right now, the Knicks don't have that guy. In addition to having the long wing, that is so, a big concern for me. So, like, like that's, but, like, see, this is where the entire context of how this roster is being presented to us affects our evaluations. Like, you can't... Obi Toppin is never going to be Evan Mobley. He's never going to be Giannis. He's just not going to be these guys. Or and, Grant Williams or whatever. But, like, the point well, is... Oh, 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 well, he's not going to be Grant Williams. That's a fucking great thing. But Williams can he make up for with his offense? That was my concern when we drafted him, right? Like, we, can you not, have a guy at the four who isn't a great defender and contend? Like, it's tough. It is It is tough, but, like, we're not We're not even trying out. it. Yeah, we're not right. trying it. And, like, the, the piss take about all this is, like, Randall's a, not a great defender. He's not a good defender. Well, I said that, but my point is like my point is more that that I'm not criticizing you. I'm not criticizing you. I'm just saying like like my frustration is like I don't understand how people are. I really, I I truly like don't get this. I I don't get people that are watching the season in real time and their takeaway is like, oh my god, like the people that wanted to trade Randall are idiots. Because I'm watching the season, I'm like. Yeah, I still kind of feel the same way. 
And I and I say that while acknowledging that Randall has been better and he is trying harder and he has been a better teammate and all like I can accept all that. The guy is shooting what from three right now? He's like thirty like under thirty percent from three, Julius Randall. He's been terrible from three and he's getting wide open threes. And then and Obi's this, been shooting better. Yeah, Obi's been okay. But but now that Obi's shooting better, now that now the goal plus move, oh well, his defense is a problem. Oh, well, he's not attacking closeouts well. Like, what are we doing here? Like, the second one is just a flat-out lie, by the way. Yeah, it's like, just, but that. it's also like, it's like, you want him to attack closeouts better? Give him minutes. Give him reps. You don't just get good at attacking closeouts by, like, osmosis. Like, no, you need reps to develop that stuff. Like, it's not an easy thing. NBA 3 is, what, 23-9, right? 23 feet, 9, nine inches? Um, Like, like it, it, that's it's different from attacking closeout in the college line, and it's just different in a lot of ways. You need a guy like Obi Toppin who has not really been accustomed to attacking closeouts in his career at all. Yeah, he needs reps to develop that. And guess what? We saw we've seen signs of it already that he is able to attack closeouts and he does it quite well. Are there instances where he fails at it? Yeah, of course. But like we we just I don't know. I, I'm like really frustrated with what I've seen and. Not so much from Tibbs, because, like, again, like, to your point, like, I don't know. I, I don't know how, how to blame Tibbs for, like, being the person he's been his entire career and his coaching career. Like, at some point, like, that's who he is, and that's what he's comfortable doing, and what am I going to do? Like, I, I can scream about it and lose my mind about it, but, like, that's what he is. That's the front office. Like, I don't know. I just think this front office is, like, in this, they put themselves in this position where they're, like, trying to have it all. And they don't want to. They don't want to fire Tibbs, but they want to develop their young guys, and they want to build a contender. And it's like, okay, but like to do the ultimate goal, which is to actually build a contender, sometimes you have to make tough decisions. And you know, like, what is this team like? And I can, I can get, I can deal with Randall starting over Obi. I think that's fine. What I can't get with is like. In the game, like, if it's all about, like, oh, well, if Obi plays better, he'll get more minutes. In the games where Obi's out playing Randall and he doesn't get rewarded, then what the hell am I supposed to, like, what am I supposed to do with that? And I'm still, I'm so sick and tired of, like, every single game, every single performance being some referendum on Emmanuel Quickly. Emmanuel Quickly is better at everything in basketball other than maybe movement shooting than Evan Fournier. He does more to help a team win basketball games than Evan Fournier has ever done in his career and ever will do in his career. Okay? That's a fact. If you want to dispute that, I don't care. Go yell into the void. I'm not listening to you. I'm not, and I never will. If you don't think Emmanuel Quickly does more to impact winning basketball games than Evan Fournier, you are a moron. You are actually an idiot. And you should stop watching basketball or get better at watching basketball. I don't particularly care which one. Like, it is a joke. And not just that. Like, if Evan Fournier was a star-level player at his age, 30, what is he? He just turned 30. He's not that old. If he was a starting back player, I wouldn't care. Then it would be fine. I'd be like, yeah, keep playing him. We're winning games with this guy. Great. Fantastic. He's not. He doesn't help your present. He doesn't help your future. He matters so much less to both of those things. Then an Emmanuel quickly. Then a Quentin Grimes when Quentin Grimes is healthy. 
than arguably Cam Reddish. Like, this guy means nothing to you, and you're treating him like he is some key piece. It is insane. And again, I'm not going to even put that on tips anymore. That is all of this stuff at this point is on the front office. They've had two years on, on they've had two plus years now on the job. They have the label land. Everybody on the roster is there because they chose for them to be there. This is their team. They have to own it. And if I got to sit here and watch 30 more games of Evan Fournier starting because we got to try and build up his trade value or the hell we're doing, like, I'm sorry, I'm just out. Like, I don't understand the point of that. Evan Fournier is a known, he's a known quantity. He could shoot 70% from three for the rest of the year. And nobody's going to trade any more than they would for him today. They won't. Because they know what he is. Like, we know what he is. We don't know what Obi Toppin is. We don't know what a man quickly is. We don't know what a Cameron is. Those guys are developing players. They're young players. They're still trying to figure out their games. They're trying to hone their skills. They're still trying to figure out what is the best version of themselves as players. Like, you have to lean into that. The Knicks have a clear direction, as far as I'm concerned. The clear direction is, Lean in to these young guys. And that's not to say don't play any vets. But it is to say the young guys need to be the priority. And you sprinkle the vets in. And like to that end, like this is like this is what makes it even more frustrating is I love what they did this offseason in that if that is the if that is the path. Because there is so much value in having a guy like Jalen Brunson if you're leaning into that path. Because that's a guy who can get you into good offense. He can create shots for you. He can get you into sets. He can he can do so many things for you that you need with young players. But like you're not doing that. You're using him to like put Randall in better positions. And our and at the end of the day, that might be worth it if I trusted the front office to deal Randall because his value has recovered now. Do you trust them to do that? I don't I don't. I don't. I feel like if Randall plays well, they're just going to keep him. And they're going to be like, oh, we didn't get enough value for him. Just fucking trade him, man. I'm sorry. You're not, he's not the difference between winning and losing a championship. He's just not. Like, can, can I make a point really quickly? Uh, because like you brought up this point, and you keep bringing it up about trade value, and I think there's like a key difference between Evan Fournier and uh, Julius Randle, uh, which is every team knows they need wings that can shoot threes. Every team from day one of the preseason knows they could use another wing that could shoot threes. It's not fucking rocket science. And what that means is like a team like the Cavs, who I thought day one of preseason really should have been looking at Evan Fournier because it didn't really seem like we had a lot of wings that could shoot threes. All of a sudden, the Cavs have like a guy in Dean Wade that is a wing that can shoot threes. Or now is a wing, right? And like, but the Cavs aren't the only team, right? That is a position where the value you can get for it is basically highest on day one of the preseason. No team at this point in the NBA is like, oh, on like halfway through the regular season, oh, you know what we could use now is a wing that could shoot threes. Like, have you heard the like, Los Angeles every- Lakers? Right, right, but the Lakers aren't going to need it more in 20 games. Right, yeah. Right, and like, like what I will say about at least playing Julius Randle, like is a, in a way that Fournier, playing Fournier doesn't get used. Like, 
Randall does provide a skill set that, like, not every team knows they need until halfway through the season. Now, do I think that's definitely going to happen? No. Do I think that's likely going to happen for you guys? Probably not. But, like, at least I see the argument why Randall is starting and playing minutes because he doesn't really, like, if anything, he probably does help you win even if it's by a minimal amount. But, like, he is consistently, if he's playing better, his value's higher. Whereas with Fournier, that's just not the case. Like, it's not. Like, Fournier's value is never going to be higher. The good news is it probably won't ever be that much lower either. It's just, it is what it is because he's a wing that could shoot threes. And he's 30. Just one spot. Wish I was. Um, yeah, I, I think that's... A... <laughs> it's actually crazy that Evan Fournier is younger than me. Yeah, yeah. wow. Uh, that just kind of puts a damper on the night. Uh, I think that was, that was pretty well said and, and not a way that people are looking at this. Uh, the flip side of that, of course, is that um, you know Randall does have longer contract and all that. Um, and we'll see. I mean, I, 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 I don't know that... Um, and the, with such a cap hit, it's just these trades feel pretty complex to execute. Um I mean, you know, I wonder if, um, like, the kind of, like, with the pop thought that popped into my head is, like, at what point does Danny Ainge say we're winning too many games? Like, you know, Larry Markin and salary fits in. I'd be happy with that at this point. Um, but the reality is there's just not a lot of maneuverability. I think it's a matter of time before Grimes takes over for Fournier, to be honest. <coughs> I think that's coming. Um, that's perhaps why he hasn't started quickly. I don't think that's a good reason. But, um, you know, those are those are probably what you're looking at. They probably move on from Fournier this offseason when he'll be an expiring next year. Um, uh, and I think this this is just kind of going to be what it is this year. Um, I think that the front office probably thought coming in, you know, let's see, can Brunson reach an all-star level where he carries the Knicks to a sixth seed? <laughs> um, and I, I still don't think that's completely out of the, the question. Oh, um, I don't think at all. I think I think people are like let's let's be real. Um, I think if you're looking at the early season ratings, the Milwaukee Bucks are the number one defense in the league, and the Cavs are like third or something. Like the Knicks lost to two teams that again, like this is and they were I, competitive I, games. Both yeah, they, they were competitive, and like this is why I hate this conversation because it's like I will say like oh I wish Tibbs had done this thing, and again you can literally you can go through my timeline. I have tried very, very actively to like not be like too overbearing of just like shitting on Tibbs, even though I really want to sometimes. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna give him 15, 20 games. We'll see what happens. Like, I'm not trying to be this. Like, I, I'm just like, oh, I wish he had done this thing. And we're like, oh, well, if we had done that, we would have won the game. And I'm like, why is that the standard for like wanting to a coach to do a different thing? Like, like yeah, sometimes I watch the Bills. And I'm like, oh man, I wish we like ran Josh Allen on like a rollout sometimes more. Like, yeah, and we win games anyway. That doesn't mean I we can't strive for, like, more, like, a better edge. Like, you're always looking for an edge. You're always looking to improve your odds. So like Okay, worm from rounders. Yeah, yeah, I am worm, dude. Uh, <laughs> I got more hair, though, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but, like, no, I just I just don't really understand that argument of, like, oh, like, whoa, we won the game. It's like, why is that the standard that we're judging this on? And, yes, I'm always looking for that edge, man. I'm always going to be on that edge. Um, but I, but I, I think speaking like in, you know, going back to the front office, I think the big frustration is is being in the no man's land, right? So 
one of the the things that gives him elasticity is can Brunson be that twenty five point per game guy, right? Um, or, or if he's not a twenty five point per game guy, can he have that level of impact, right? Um, well, it, it's it's kind of like can he can he be like a twenty and seven guy? Yeah, and off of the twenty and seven, because of that threat, it has the same impact as maybe a twenty five point guy game per guy. And I think he's shown that at times. Uh, I think it's really just upping the three point volume. That's the difference. Uh, he's been hyper efficient for the most part. Um, besides against Drew Holiday, he's basically been able to get to his spots. Uh, and then if that allows Randall to thrive, um, you know that allows RG to thrive. You know they get into the fifth or sixth seed. The, the front office then has some options. Um, if it end up in the case, but you know we're in a stretch where they could legitimately go one and six in this next, including the Milwaukee and Cleveland games, right? And if you start getting down that path and you realize that, you know, we're probably looking at a seven seed at best, it'll be very curious to see if they do pick a direction at that point or if they're like, okay, let's give it another year and see if Randall and Brunson mesh, right? Because I think that um, the patience is from the fan base is starting to run low and the patience from Leon Rose should be starting to run low, right? Like I get, like I get some wisdom in trying to, to see how it works with Brunson because you have added, I, I think, a fantastic player. Who changes the dynamic of of your offense for sure, um, but um, but it'll be very curious to see you know and and I mean you know what kind of answers they get on some of those those questions. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think the the part with Bronson is like definitely well taken, and I mean that that's actually like what is the most frustrating part for me of Randall still being here because again, to my point is like. It's not like if you want to argue that Randall is a better player in a vacuum than Obi Doppin is a better player than in a vacuum, I don't think that's unreasonable at all. I think that's like a pretty reasonable argument. I think you make very valid points about it. Guess what? NBA basketball isn't played in a vacuum. It's a five on five sport. And I fundamentally believe a guy like Obi Toppin, who is naturally wired and able and gifted at playing off the ball makes life easier for a guy like Jalen Brunson. And the best version of this team is allowing a guy like Jalen Brunson to have a more open floor, to maximize his skill set, and bring other guys along. And I just, like, I, look, all I would love to see a 10-game stretch of just, like, Starting point guard Jalen Brunson with RJ and with Obi in the starting lineup. Whether that's Grimes next to them at the two and whoever this would be Mitch at the five. I just want to see those three together. I would like to see that. I think the results would be good. I would be I would be surprised if they weren't. Um but I want to see it and we're never gonna see it. We're never gonna see it with this team. That's the most frustrating part. Is there just things that like I would love to see with this roster we have that we're never going to see as long as this is the status quo with Tibbs as our coach? And like, you know, we've mentioned this relentlessly on this pod, but like that says less about Tibbs than it's about the front office. I think we've talked about the Knicks enough. We do have a guest on the pod. He has sacked through an hour and 20 minutes of Kyrie Irving's bullshit and Knicks bullshit. Let's talk a little bit about the Cavs. Um, they're what? They're, I don't know, whatever they are. They're good. They're very good. Uh, they're 5-1, 4-2, whatever yep. they are. 5-1. Uh, I was 
I I actually am still like of the opinion that when Garland gets back, I don't think they're gonna. I, I think it actually benefits them slightly to have Garland out right now because I think it just makes Mitchell's transition a lot easier. Um, but like, I'm not worried about this team in the long term at all. I think they're just always gonna figure it out. They have enough talent. Short term, a little bit concerned when Garland gets back, how that works out. But like, this team is definitely on schedule. Like, they're definitely ahead of the schedule. Uh, and I just think they're, they're kind of like weird. I don't know. They they match up kind of well. I really I was thinking about this after we played after we played you guys, but like, I don't know what team in the East is like. Oh, we match up really well with Cleveland. I don't think there is a team that like. It's like, oh yeah, we just we're good. Like we all our guys, we're the perfect matchup for them. They're they're Milwaukee. a tough matchup. I don't even like. I think they like, match up the best, right? They match up. The Milwaukee best. matches up the best against everybody. Like like yeah. they, like they have Giannis. Just, like to be straight, like Milwaukee. Well, be honest, but they all. Brook Lopez has been playing like, amazing. Yeah, like, yeah. Brook Lopez is really well. Like they have a great front court in general. Middleton's not even like, bad. Really and then they have yeah. the. They're probably the only team with the point of attack defenders who. I don't want to say contain Garland and Mitchell, but um, you know can match up with them, right? I didn't know you were so high on Grayson Allen as a point of attack. <laughs> yeah, he's got the trips, you know. Yeah, no. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, like, so the Cavs are winning games, and I think what are fairly unsustainable ways right now, um, like. Not just that Mitchell's scoring 35-plus points pretty much every game, but two this season, or even one, I think. Like, it's not just that. Like, Kevin Love having his best shooting game since LeBron, right? Or, like, Karis LeVert scoring 41 points efficiently. Did you did you cry like, a little bit? Did you cry like when when did you No, cuz he shed a tear when he year. when he destroyed Boston in Boston? No, cuz like he hasn't been good this year, right? Like, <laughs> like that like and I was saying this earlier, but like when Garland comes back, what's going to happen? And and this is not like news, like JB Bakersmith has said this. It's going to be Garland, Mitchell, Karis LeVert, Mobley Allen. And that's going to fail. Like, it's just not going to work because Karis LeVert is, like, he has a main character syndrome. Like, there was, like he took, had, like, a turnaround three that he made against Boston in overtime that, like, basically changes the momentum of that game. But, like, he doesn't, nobody makes that shot. Like, like it's that, like a shot that you're also, like, you should probably never take that shot again. <laughs> right. And like, like, but, like, outside of that, like, the Cavs have been better when Levert is not playing. I mean, I, guess, I don't think that's right. Like, I think he's on off. It's still pretty good. But, like, he's just not sustainable there, I don't think, because I think if you are a team trying to trot out Mitchell and Garland, who are two guys that are really good off the ball, but best on the ball, and then also trying to get Mobley reps and Allen buckets, like, you got to have, like, a low-usage guy in that hole. Um, and, and I think Dean Wade is the best guy there. I also think, generally speaking, like, I don't know that it's good that Garland's been out as much as, like, we've just started winning games in an unsustainable fashion. Um, I think when Garland does come back, there will be a blip, and I don't know that it'll be a blip. Like, 
Cavs fans like, oh, well, it won't be like LeBron after the Cavs traded Kyrie and brought in Isaiah. I was like, yeah, no shit. Right? Like, like it, that's not what anybody's saying. Like, I think that the Cavs are still going to win games. It's not going to be like drama central with Jay Crowder just deciding that he's better than LeBron and like doing LeBron shit. Like, it, it, right. Like, it's going to be fine. I think there is going to be a, there already is learning curve. Like, Mobley's numbers with and without Garland over the past year plus now are pretty drastic. Like, he is great when Garland plays, at least offensively. He's pretty mediocre without it. And we've seen the pretty mediocre all season long. Like, Mobley's still great defensively, but his offense has just not yeah. been there. Yeah, I, I, I was like, I love, like, you know this. I, I love Mobley. I think he is like a generational potential type of talent. Um, I don't. I I can I say this with the highest possible praise because I am a huge Tim Duncan fan, but like the Slim Duncan moniker to me is not like out of bounds. Like I I see it, um, but yeah, like I thought again. Like this is funny because I just shit on Randall a lot. I thought Randall bullied him in that game. Oh, he uh, did. Yeah, he bullied him in that game. That's not the only time. Like yeah. Mobley bullied a bit this year. Like he got bullied, and then and then to your point about the offense, like. I was like very unimpressed with him offensively in that game. It was like, like to your point about the unsustainability part, and this is where again, like I think, like to bring this back to the Knicks just for a second. But it's like there are people that like watch that game and were like, "Oh my god!" Like I can't believe the Knicks didn't trade for this guy. Like they should have given up everything. They like, and it's like, like yeah, like Don Mitchell's just gonna have games like that. He, he is like it doesn't matter what coverage you put in, and and to the point of like Tim Tom Thibodeau is like the inflexibility of your defensive scheme plays into that and all these things. But like, like he, yeah, he went off. He was great. He's fantastic. But it's like, that's not actually sustainable. Like even a star player isn't going to just like, what was he like eight of 11 from three or something? He was like some crazy, you know, you're just, that's not sustainable. It's like, yeah, you, you had a night and, and that's what stars get paid for. But like, again, to your point, it's like, that's not actually the sustainable thing that you need to win basketball games consistently. Yeah, I mean, the Cavs are averaging like 118 or 119 points per 100 possessions with Mitchell on the court and like Mitchell's numbers, just like 30 points-ish a game and like eight assist-ish a game. Like, if that continues throughout the season, we're not just talking about Donovan Mitchell. Like, probably going to win the we're talking about, <laughs> Yeah, we're talking about like Donovan Mitchell's Dwayne Wade that can shoot threes. Like, that, like that, that is what yeah. those numbers over the course of the season manifest as and like that's just not gonna happen but i think that garland coming back can lead this team to a more sustainable system and like listen i think evan mobley is going to improve right that's a plus where like kevin love isn't gonna play like that and the bird's not gonna play like that i think what dean wade's doing is very sustainable i think the three point percentage is actually pretty sustainable i think mitchell being really good is being sustainable but i think garland still like to this day i will say i think garland is the key like like Mitchell can do this for a little while, but eventually, like, he's just going to burn out if he has to be this guy every single game. And I think the best world is where, like, Garland can more or less kind of trade off with Donovan. And, like, we saw this with, like, in Cleveland with LeBron and Kyrie, but we saw it in Golden State with Steph and KD. We've seen it in Boston lately, like, Having two guys that can both be primary ball handlers and primary scorers 
that also can distribute is like the way to win titles. Like just generally speaking, like that's how good teams win is you have more than one guy that can do the, the I'm the guy type ball. And so like I, I, we are playing better than I thought we would because we've had at least two games. I think you can make an argument for the piston or the, the magic game too, where like there have just been some unsustainable performances. Um, but I'm not worried about it in the long term. I think like when Garland comes back, we may have a rough week or two, but that's really it. Yeah, I mean, so realistically, I mean, do you think? Um, so you you do need multiple players. Do you think there's something you said about having that playmaking come from multiple areas in the court? And specifically, what I'm thinking. Um, so, Shwin, you made this case preseason. I'd be interested in you know if you change your mind a little bit given the early season. But it sounded a little bit. I don't think you said exactly this, but maybe the Cavs are a year away from figuring out some of the issues when it comes to spacing and all of that. Um, I think part of that could be a Mobley leap on offense. He's still not there yet, right? I mean, the shoot, the perimeter shooting isn't quite there. It seems like it should get there in time. Um, so I'd be curious, Jordan, is that kind of your view? Like, yeah, Garland being able to balance with Mitchell would help, but ultimately, do you need, um, you know, one of the front court guys, ideally Mobley, to to kind of take a leap at some point for this team to to fully max out and, and get to that level? I mean, yeah, right. Like, I think this was the idea when they traded for Karis Levert was that you would get him and then Mobley would continue to evolve. And what happened is they traded for Levert, Mobley got hurt, and then they got the opportunity to trade for Mitchell, and then you just kind of have Levert who's there. And I, I mean, my gut instinct is that Levert is probably part of like, some of the weaker Cavs lineups, like two-man lineups, like, I, I just, that's my gut instinct, is that I, I just don't particularly think, like, he's going to be this guy that pairs really well with bigs that can't shoot. Um, and, like, yeah, if Mobley can develop shooting, that's great. I think more than shooting to me, though, is that can Mobley or Allen, although I think I mean, I said this last year. I still think this. I think last year's performance from Jared Allen was an overperformance, and I think like we started to see that a little bit this year, where he's still really good, but he's not an All Star. Um, I think like what you want from Mobley is the playmaking ability, right? Like if you can playmake from two different areas of, on the court at once, that's huge. And like that, like Schwinn, your point about Duncan, like. That was something the Spurs always had is that, yeah, you had Tony Parker, you had Manu, you had guys that were tasked with, like, Patty Mills towards the end of the career, that were tasked with the main playmaking jobs. But, like, Tim Duncan could do it. And even if it was 10, 15 times a game where Duncan ran the offense, that made the Spurs unguardable, especially, like, the last kind of gasp Spurs where they had Duncan and Kawhi and they destroyed the heat, like just the ability to create in so many different ways. And I, I do think that Garland and Mitchell are different, but they're not different enough to overcome that. And like, it's why a team like Milwaukee just scares me. Like, or honestly, I know they're not playing well right now, but Philly, like with Embiid and Harden, like that team to me, like 
has the potential, like where you can just have two number ones, right? I'm so out on that team. I'm like so out on that team. I just, yeah, I mean, like, I just don't know how you can win a championship. Like, no, I, I get it, but like, I just like so. Here's the, here's the thing, right? I think you can, you can sell me on. Mobley and Allen are okay with Garland and Mitchell doing like the lion share offensive stuff, and they will be play finishers and defensive monsters. Like they basically like their their main energy will be spent on being defensive monsters, right? You cannot sell me on Joel Embiid buying into that because to me, the path for Philly to become a true championship contender is letting Maxi and Harden be the, the primary offensive guys, and Joel Embiid goes back to what he was two or three years ago, where he was truly an elite defensive player, and he's completely let go of the rope on that end since then because he's, you know, he's had to shoulder an offensive burden now. He doesn't need to do that now. But is he willing to not do that now? I don't know. I'm, like, very out on this team. Yeah, I mean, like, obviously not the coach for them either. He's fucking garbage. And I just think, like, I... I look, I... I don't know if anybody could be more disappointed in. I mean, is it possible to be more disappointing than Joel Embiid was at the condition he showed up? Like, oh, no, actually, I've got plantar fasciitis. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, sure. Nice. Very good. Embiid reminds me, and I mean this, like, not necessarily in the same way, but like similar, like, similar personality to Shaq when Shaq was like, like, it, right? Where it's like, man, like, if you just, like, could put everything together and just not be about like Embiid for like a season, you'd be the best player in the NBA. And like, it just kind of feels like that. But like my bigger point was that like what makes Philly so hard to defend is that they have the perimeter playmaking and they also have Joel Embiid. Right. And like we see saw this with Miami, like right with Bam and Jimmy Butler, right. Or like, Toronto a little bit less, Golden State a little bit less, but like Phoenix is another one, right? Where like I know Aiton's not a playmaker, but like Aiton can do it. Um, and it's not the same, right? Because Aiton's mainly kind of a like play finishing type, like in like just monster type, but like he can do it. And I I think that the dream is Mobley can develop that quote unquote like can do it ability. Because uh, I, I just don't think that Allen's ever going to be that guy. And, like, I I was wrong about Allen. Like, I think Jared Allen is actually a really, really good NBA player. I also that contract might that. be one of the biggest steals in the NBA, by the way. Yeah. No, 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 no. Like, yeah. I, I was totally wrong. I will take the loss on that one. What I will say is I think Jared Allen, the all-star center, was an overperformance. Like, just based on who he is. But, like, that doesn't mean he was a bad contract. I think he's a great contract. And while Mobley bulks up a little bit and, like, learns to play in the NBA, like, having Allen able to go toe-to-toe with most centers is valuable. But, like, I do think, like, Milwaukee is a problem for the Cavs, right? Like, any team that doesn't have a guy that can go, that can at least hold Giannis to 20 and 10 in the playoffs... Like, any team that doesn't have that, or 20, 10, and 10, I guess the case may be, like... <laughs> it, it, 75, have, 10, and 10. <laughs> yeah. Like, but, like, right, and, like, Giannis is not as good as the prime LeBron was, but it's the same problem, where, like, 
like credit to Boston. Like Boston has like a lot of things they can just throw at them. Um, in like Miami a few years ago, like where they had Jimmy Butler, they could just throw at them. Like you need that type of team where you got to throw a bunch of guys at them or, or what, just to hold them in. And, because if you can't, you can't win. And I just like, I think Dean Wade is a viable NBA starter for a very good team. Like, I really believe that end of this year, assuming everybody's healthy, the starting five will be Garland, Mitchell, Wade, Mobley, Allen. Like, I think Wade's better than Levert in that type of role. But, like, do I feel confident at all with the combo of Wade and Mobley going up against Giannis all, all postseason? Like, all series? Like, fuck no. Like, we're going to get crushed. And, like, you can deal with that. But, like, I, I, I think that's okay. Like, this team, if they make a run in the East, that's a better season than anybody could have predicted. You give everybody another year to develop. Like, I think Mobley year three, like, that's when we see these yeah, bigs the really, the like, yeah. yeah. So, like, to me, this year is just about, like, making a good run. Yeah, it's about making a good run. I think just, like, getting everybody just on the same page. Um, the, I want to ask you about this, Stacey, because I think you probably have thoughts about this. Uh, I'm, like, I saw, I, I've always thought, like, oh, Mobley's, like, ultimate ceiling is, like, what he gives to a team is, like, he can play the five, and, like, you can go five out and all this stuff. Like, the more I watch them play, I'm just kind of, like, like, that's a, that, if he, de- once he develops that, that's obviously gives you a great pivot. But I'm also just kind of, like, is his best tool just the fact that he could be a really good four? And now you can just play a five a lot? Like, I don't know. What do you, th- what do you think about that, Stacey? Yeah, I mean, I think it helps that both him and Allen are, at worst, functional passers with some creativity to their, their game. Um, and, like, Allen can't shoot, really, but, uh, you know, he can drive, he can do more things with the ball in his hands, right? Um, they can move around the court. Um, they can set a functional screen. Hi, Mitchell Robinson. Um, oh, so you can generate... I think we've seen that you can generate spacing without having to go for out, right? Um, it takes having... Um, it takes having guys who can make plays. I mean, we've seen this even with Hartenstein, right? Hartenstein is not a yeah. reliable shooter right now. But because of the things he can do, I mean, that floater helps, obviously. But uh, Best you floater can, in the league, baby. <laughs> uh, you can generate that spacing. And um, and in Mobley's case, he does have a little bit of that mid-range game. He's willing to shoot. Um, and, you know, people, I don't think teams want to leave him wide open outside the paint. And... Um, and when you put the ball on the floor, like teams also don't want to give Evan Mobley a running start to the rim, right? You're not just going to yeah. sit in and pack the paint against them. Um, because even if you do, you know, prevent a layup, then you don't want him to get a post up from 16 feet or, or lower. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's funny. I've, I've talked about this a lot on this pod, but, um, you know, it's almost like the inverse experiment that the Bulls ran last year. Um, obviously, I think the Cavs' hop end talent is more, um, is better. So you're not a DeRozan guy. <laughs> uh, I, I, I mean, I thought DeRozan had an awesome year. Um, he had but, a great game tonight. He did. Yeah. Shout out shout out to him. Doing and, I mean, I will say that he culture. seems like a good dude, too. Like, it's yeah, a dude who's obviously caught a lot of flack, but... Did you see the pop thing with him? No. Where, like, so he cracked the 20,000 points mark, right? Uh, pop took a timeout, and, like, they had, like, a nice little hug fest. And 
It was just it was cool to see. Like I've shit on DeRozan a lot, but like it's always nice to see that. And, he, and you're right, he does seem like a really good guy and all that stuff. Yeah, um, got little Romeo scholarship. So That's right. um, did. But um, but the, the experiment that that team made was that we have two bad defenders in the backcourt, and we have a poor defender at center, and we're gonna bet that we have two elite wing point of attack guys that can make up for it. And for half a season, it worked. Cleveland is making the the op- and my I had been skeptical of that team because I said you know rim protection you can't just not have it. Cleveland is making the bet that you can cover up for two not good defenders. Although um, Jordan, I'd actually be curious about this. I didn't pay too much attention when they played the Knicks. It does seem like Mitchell's defense has been better this year. Uh, so definitely want to get your thoughts on that. But Cleveland's making the case that a you know spacing doesn't matter as much if your bigs are skilled. And B, um, you know, two elite bigs at the rim um, make up for the fact that you might have a subpar defensive backcourt. I, so. I just want to say real quick before Jordan gets rolling here, I'm pretty worried about the Wolves, man. They might this this fucking trade might be a disaster. Just want to throw that out there. Yeah, I mean, I think Rudy and Cat were never going to be a like like that's a pairing that you need to fuck. Like, it's not like what I think, Garland. Like. That's bring it back to me, but like, <laughs> like, like Garland and Mitchell seem like a pretty fair, easy pairing. Like it take it'll take some work, but like Cat and Rudy, like the that is a tough pairing. Well, it's like they, they they never did a proof of concept, right? That was right. That's the thing that never made sense to me about that trade. Is like I totally get the idea of like Cat can't. We're not going to win a championship with Cat at the five, so we want to get like a really awesome defensive five and move him to the four. Like I get that. I get all of that, but it's like, you should have tried that out with a reasonable facsimile before you did the all in thing with Gobert. And I think that's like the part that, I mean, I don't know. It just look it looks rough. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I, so I guess, like, stay to get to your point, like, uh, a few points. So one, I think Darius Garland's a better defender than he gets credit for. Um, I don't think he's a good defender, right? Like, there was metrics, like, halfway through last season where it's like, oh, Garland's, like, one of the five best defensive point guards. And, like, those metrics were because he was playing with Mobley and Allen. But I also think Garland's, like, a decent, like, to, like, average for a point guard defender. And I think that's useful. He's aggressive, which I think is actually really nice. Like, Garland, like, will just, like, he's, like, like Garland learned from Matt Belvedova. Like, he's just annoying. <laughs> but, like, he follows his guy around pretty well. Like, I think he's, like, decent. Mitchell just dogs it because Mitchell spends so much effort on the other end. But my hope with Mitchell, like, this is a hope because, right, like, against the Knicks, he had, like, two great stops in the fourth quarter. Like, one, I think he blocked Obi, maybe. Like, Obi was going up for dunk. Yeah, it was in transition. It was in transition. Yeah, but, like, Mitchell, otherwise, was pretty mediocre to bad all night. But, like, my hope with Mitchell is the same hope I had with Kyrie. And, like, when the Cavs won the title, Kyrie kind of worked with it, which is, like, overall, he's probably pretty bad. But, like, when it matters, he can actually, like, stay in front of a guy. And, like, that's just my hope for Mitchell the remainder of the season and the postseason is that, like, he knows. And, right, we saw last year in the postseason, he didn't. But, like, part of that may have just been, like, that Utah team was basically, like, I know they had 
speaking of Rudy Gobert, they had Rudy Gobert, but like that team really was Donovan Mitchell or die. Um, and like my hope is that Mitchell, like maybe now in a team that can, that has other options to win a games, like Mitchell can say, I know when the important defensive possessions are. I, I'm still skeptical of that. And I think, Stacey, to your point, like part of the Mobley Allen gamble is like, even if Mitchell doesn't know that, we'll still probably be okay because we have two elite rim protectors playing on the court at the exact same time. Um, yeah, I mean, I think yeah, it, it was really funny. Like, uh, I think I saw some quotes from Donovan Mitchell, like, oh, he he basically admitted that like he didn't try on defense in Utah, which is hilarious. Which is like, I mean, it's hilarious for me because fuck Utah uh, and fuck Danny Ainge and fuck the entire state of Utah, actually. Uh, but like, it's just funny because like, yeah, we know, dude, we saw. Uh, we will, I think, I think better effort will go a long way. It helps him for sure. But there's just like fundamental things about him. He's just not a good defender. Like. Brunson, like, to your point, like, you know, there were people that were really disappointed in Brunson's performance in that game. But, like, in that third quarter especially, there were, like, three or four times he absolutely roasted Mitchell. Like, completely roasted him. Probably, he should have had, like, two and ones on, on, on them. But, um, but you don't, like, this is the luxury that having a Mobley and an Allen affords you is, like, you don't need him to be good. You don't even need him to be, like, you don't need him to be great. You definitely don't need him to be good. He's going to be okay. And you just need him to execute to like, hey, all we want you to do is funnel the dudes you're defending to the big guys. Just funnel them inside. Like, this is the advantage I think the Cavs have is like, they have this inordinate length. And then in the case of a guy like Mobley at the four, not only do you get the size, but like his ability to make rotations is really not appreciated enough. Like, it's hard for those guys, like those bigger guys, to to come down to the paint and then rotate back out to the shooter. He does it really well. He's so good, man. He's he's really good. I think he's a special player. Um, I, personally, you were asking me like who's gonna be the best out of that group of guys in that in that draft. Like, I'll still go with Mobley. I just think you know his ceiling, the things that he could become are just. They just add so many dimensions to your team. Like, just the fact that, you know, even just, like, the pure fact of being a four and a five, that alone, right? Like, I, I just think he's a special, special, special player. Uh, one other thing that people do right? We don't have complete two positions. Sorry, go ahead. We don't, well, I mean, it's the most... Well, it's the most... Like, the thing is, it's the most valuable thing to have is a four that can play the five. That is like the most valuable dual position type of player you can have. And it encompasses it, so many things, right? They have yeah. to be able to protect the rim. They have to be able to play from the perimeter, whether that means shooting or uh, you know, providing functional spacing by not being a guy you want to just leave out there and, and not um, not allowed to do things with the ball. Um, and um, and you still be able you have to be able to protect the rim. You have to be able to um, probably you have to also be able to be agile in the perimeter, right? So uh, it's it's pretty. It's not quite the unicorn archetype, but it's um, it's a it's a rare and tough bundle of skills. Well, and like Schwinn, like to both of your points, like Schwinn earlier, you were saying like, oh, all the cats need to do is ask Mitchell to like funnel, right? Like funnel yeah. his guy to the yeah. bigs. 
Do you want to know who's really good at funneling is Evan Mobley. Like, watch that guy, like, when he has to do point of attack. Like, he gets switched on a guard. Oh, it's right? insane. And, yeah, he's insane. And, like, like yeah, he can one-on-one against that guard. Like, and that's totally good. But he also knows, like, if he's going up against somebody that just is going to be able to beat him, he just funnels. Like, he gives him a really shitty angle and funnels him to Jared Allen, where then they can't beat him. Like, his knowledge of defensive angles is actually, like, it's weird to me. Like, his ability to, like, know when to just stand in space and block a shot, to funnel a guy, to, like, like he just has, like, this intuitive knowledge. That, like, he, almost he's a like savant. He's a, he's, a defen- like. he's a defensive savant. Like, he really is. Yeah. he re- Like, it just, like, even, like, right, like, Randall did roast him a few times like there there's no doubt but like i also think randall like i know there's issues with randall like randall's pretty unique for a four like because randall like can play like a five in on offense like he's not great at it but like he has a physical strength to do it and like that's just like a weird matchup and i think there's not a lot of fours they can do like create like a very low gravity just like slam strength and so like i'm not as worried about that i just think like let mobley do mobley on defense and yeah i mean i like i I, i'm excited about this Cavs team i think at the end of the day like the problem they're gonna have is reliable scoring um like kevin love dean wade like chetty osmond's and other guys had a good year like you assume one out of those three guys every game is going to be good but that's an assumption, right? There are going to be games where all three suck, and Mitchell and Garland can only do so much. Mobley and Allen, like, are good in offense. They're not great. And if the only two other guys that are playing well in offense are, Mo- are uh, Mitchell and Garland, like, we're going to lose games because of that. I think defense I'm less concerned about, at least, like, long-term. I think, again, like, there are going to be games where Mitchell just gets cooked like, all game long, and we lose because of it, and Cavs fans are going to be like, this is why we didn't want to do the trade, and this is why, like, Mitchell's just like Kyrie, and, that like, he's going to score, not that he's, like, a fucking racist douchebag, but, like, that, like, he's going to score a lot of points and not defend, like, but I think overall, they'll be fine. Like, they'll be fine. And then I think next year is really the year where the Cavs need, like, even tomorrow, the Cavs need to be talking about what are the steps you can take so a year from now we could be competing for an NBA title? Yeah, yeah. I think you guys are you guys are in a conversation the Knicks are not in, and I know that Knicks fans are already depressed about that. But like, again, like this is it goes back to the entire Cavs thing. Like, it takes a guy, it takes one guy, and if RJ makes a leap, if somebody makes a leap, because that's what happened. Garland made a leap last year, and yes, like to your point, like like you talked about, it's like. Yes, Allen was an all-star, but it's like it's it's not the same thing, right? It's like not not the same thing. You get the Mobley guy, but it's like the big piece was Garland making the leap, and now you're like, okay, you know what? Let's take the shot. We pair this guy with another all-star in the backcourt. It takes one guy. It takes one guy to make a leap, and now all of a sudden your team is in a position to make that type of risk the Cavs have made. Um, I think there's a good place to wrap it up. Especially because it is now twelve thirty at night as we're recording this. Uh, Jordan, thank you so much for coming on. Let the people know where they can find you and plug any of the various 
90,000 Chelsea uh, football club threads that you would like to plug? Yeah, so uh, I'm on Twitter at sports underscore by underscore stats. That's right, sports by stats. I keep going <laughs> back and forth on like changing that that the, the Twitter handle, and I'm just not doing it. Um, yeah, I do a lot of stats threads for Chelsea stuff. I also, like now that the Cavs are playing again, I tweet a lot about the Cavs, so I'm sure I'll have stats threads on them sometime in the near future, like especially when we get to like 10 games and have like reliable data. So uh, yeah, that's about it for me. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much again for coming on. Uh, Stacy. anything you'd like to plug? And uh, I know I would assume anybody that's listening to this at this point knows where they can find you, but let them know where they can find you if they don't. Uh, Stacy Patton 89 on Twitter. Um, I will plug the fact that um, I haven't seen either of my football teams lose a game this season, 15 and 0. So that's pretty good. Knock well, on wood. Hopefully, one of those changes. Uh, wow, you're rooting against Michigan? You're an asshole. Yes, I know, I know. Uh, I have nothing to plug myself. Uh, I have, unfortunately, seen. My football team was one game against the dastardly Dolphins. Uh, but I have nothing else to plug, so I'm just going to plug all the wonderful work in the Strickland. Uh, I'm going to plug our merchandise store. Check it out. There's a bunch of great stuff on there. Uh, and I will plug um, I will plug the Believe Knicks pod. Great pod with, uh, with Matthew Miranda and this other idiot that's on there, too. He's okay. Uh, that is what I'm plugging today. Uh, I hope everybody has a great week, and I will see you on Friday. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.